Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he said to them, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Well, this Sunday is Epiphany Sunday. And the word epiphany is derived from a Greek word that means to appear or a manifestation. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, this celebration is called a theophany, which is derived from the Greek as well. Theo meaning God and funny meaning uh, an appearance and therefore a God appearance. Interestingly, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, they celebrate this appearance as the baptism of Christ, where we saw the full Trinity there in appearance. But here in the West, we uh, celebrate in connection with the star as seen by the wise men or the Magi, and thereby bringing the light of Christ to the Gentile world. Matthew 2 uh, here is the only place that we see uh, this event recorded in the Gospels. And yet, this story has become an indelible part of the Christmas story, to the point where it's included in every single nativity scene, this visit of the manger, although the wise men did not visit the manger. In fact, they visited Jesus and Mary in a house that they were living in. There is speculation that this visit may have occurred well after Jesus' birth, perhaps up to two years afterwards. And this would explain why Herod uh, commanded the killing of all those boys under the age of two in that area of Bethlehem. And so, what do we know about these men who had the privilege of bringing some of the first recognition to Jesus as the Messiah? First, we must do our best to differentiate between tradition, 
and the biblical account. And don't get me wrong, I think that tradition is great. I'm not opposed to tradition. But we know that it's not scripture. What it is, is it's a historical speculation. Notice here that in the text, Matthew does not call them kings. This tradition arose uh, in the church, the early church, uh, because of some of the Old Testament prophecies that talked about kings coming to bow down before the Messiah. By 500 AD, this interpretation was widely adopted by most commentators, as we see in the songs that we sing, We Three Kings, right? Also notice that the text does not say that there were three visitors. Um, The tradition about this arose because of the three gifts that were given. There could have been two magi or dozens of magi. We don't know for certain. Some traditions go so far to even name the magi, but we see no such identification here in the Bible. In most common uh, songs that we sing, this regards the like We Three Kings or the one that we just sang uh, earlier, we see that they are from the Orient or Traverse Afar. The scriptures here simply state that they are from the East. And so for the rest of my message this morning, we are going to be looking at those things that we can know for sure as we look at the scriptural account here. And then what is the significance for us today as followers of Christ? And you can follow these points right along in your bulletin as well. First, we see here that the wise men saw something. The word that's used to identify these international visitors is the word magoi. And we derive our word in English, magic, from them. And in this time of Christ's birth, the country that was just east of Judea was Arabia. And then beyond that, Parthia, which is a region that was partially in the Persian Gulf area. Ancient Babylon was in this area as well. And it makes sense that these men were from that region because the word magi, that term, is related to Persian priestly caste that was there. These are astrologers that operated within the religion of the Zoroastrians. These priests were some of the wisest men of their time. They combined the science of astronomy with the religious practice of astrology, or interpreting the celestial bodies. And in response to their observations, they would make recommendations to political entities, typically kings. In our modern culture, they would probably work for NASA. Daniel and his peers were assigned a similar job during their captivity in Babylon. They were summoned many times to give counsel to King Nebuchadnezzar as tied to dreams and visions. And so they were interpreting the supernatural. And this was a very powerful position because kingdoms could rise and fall based on the advice that they gave. People could die because of the advice they gave. And as part of their job, the Magi would also study foreign history, politics, and religion. In regard to the narrative in Matthew here, these men of the East were presumably just going about their regular duties as the Magi. But then they saw something new as they observed the stars. A star had appeared. And there is a lot that could be said about this astrological event, 
But for the sake of brevity, I just want to give you the short version. If you want to dig further, I would encourage you to go online and watch the documentary, The Star of Bethlehem by Rick Larson. In the 1600s, Johannes Kepler discovered the mathematical equations to prove the laws of uh, planetary motion. But one of the problems that Kepler and those who followed him ran into was the laborious nature of the mathematical calculations of the celestial movements. And so it was hard for them to depict with any kind of accuracy the way different days and stars related in the past. They could observe the current and they could do some mathematical calculations, but they were so intense, and especially when you threw in the planetary motions, it was very difficult for them. Fast forward to today, where we have the help of computer animation. And we can go online, there's different software that you can download, and you can see any moment in the history of mankind, you can look at the stars for that time. You can see how the planets moved in that time. When Rick Larson began to study this riddle of the star of Bethlehem, he came to some shocking conclusions and he actually has left his practice as a lawyer to pursue this full-time. This is what he does now. He studied for years, and then he's now going out and he's talking about this star of Bethlehem. It's clear from the Bible that God takes credit for the movements of the constellations, and he also calls us to look to the heavens which declare his glory. In fact, he challenges us to look to the signs in the heavens, Though we don't go as far as to believe that the stars run our lives, like those who follow astrology do, but we do see in Genesis 1, 14, at the very beginning, that it says God made the celestial bodies for signs, seasons, days, and years. The Magi here stumbled across the greatest sign in the heavens in the history of mankind although they needed to study some foreign texts to determine what that meant. And so in the course of their study, they discovered that a king would be born to the Jews that would save all the people, the Messiah. And this is why when they showed up and began to talk to Herod, they said, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? They knew what this sign meant. And so, what exactly would they have seen that it would have gotten them so excited in the heavens? As we look here at the text in Matthew chapter 2, we see that there are nine criteria that need to be fulfilled in order to determine that the star that they saw in history, in the astronomical records, is the same star that the wise men in the Bible saw. So as we look at the skies and go and look at the computer images, there are nine things that need to be met in order for us to say that's what they saw. First, it indicated a birth. Second, it announced a king. Third, it was connected to the Jews. Fourth, fourth it must rise in the east, and then something must happen in the west. It appeared at an exact time. Herod didn't know about the appearance, which disqualifies things like comets or a supernova explosion. It endured over a considerable time. It went on ahead of them as they traveled to the west. 
and it stopped over Bethlehem. First, as we look at this uh, event here, we first must clarify that it wasn't until the 17th century that scientists discovered that planets were not stars. In fact, the word planet means wanderer, and the ancient Greeks and Romans called these wandering stars. And that's why they many times named their gods after these planets, because they saw them as special kinds of stars that had the ability to kind of wander around in different paths than normal stars did. The largest planet in our solar system is Jupiter, and from Earth it also appears as the largest planetary body. That is why it's called the King Star, and many name their greatest gods after this planet. In 3 BC, Jupiter began to do something very interesting in the western sky. This would have excited these magi. It would have made them sit up and take notice. It moved into conjunction and appeared to merge with the star Regulus. That star Regulus is named where we get the word regal from. It's a royal star. And so the king star and the royal king wandering star came into such close conjunction with one another that they appeared to be one star, even though if you look through a very good telescope, you could see they were still just a little bit apart from one another. But to the naked eye, they appeared to be as one star. Now, this was not super unique. This actually happened every 12 years. And so as the Magi saw that, they wouldn't have gotten too excited because they knew that this was going to happen. But the next thing that happened caused the greatest stir. Jupiter's path retrograded. Okay, This happens occasionally when planets appear to break away from a certain path that they are on, reverse their path, and then begin again. Retrograding happens because we are on a moving platform watching a moving object. It's similar to when you're on a train and you're approaching an object, and as you pass it, it seems to go away from you, from your perspective. And so this happens with the planets, because the planets move at different speeds. And sometimes we catch up to one, and it seems to pass us, and then it goes back again. And so this happened to Jupiter. And so as it came into conjunction with Regulus, it passed it by, circled back around, touched it again, and then came back this way, and then circled again and touched it for the third time before it went on to its path. Essentially crowning Regulus. So Jupiter circled around Regulus and then went on and crowned it. And they got very excited about this because that meant that a king had been born. This showed them that there was a royal declaration from the heavens, and they began to search diligently about this king. This celestial event caused them to search the scriptures, to search ancient texts. There's a theory that might shed a bit of light on their search that came from Larson. He said, what if these wise men from the east had been influenced by the history and thought of the wise men who came from Israel during the Babylonian captivity. If they were from that area, 
different texts would have been passed down from the time of Daniel. Because Daniel never left Babylon. He never went back to Israel with the different captives. He died there, and many of those wise men in Babylon stayed there. And their influence was passed down through the generations, 600 years later. And so, could they have been studying, for instance, the Psalms of David, which Daniel and his companions would have known very well? Could they have heard about this Messiah that was to be born? This one, the King of the Jews. At any rate, they knew that this celestial coronation was for the King of the Jews because of the location that the crowning occurred. As Regulus moved through the sky, and all stars mostly come from the east, and they come up like the sun does, but when it was in the west, that's when this crowning occurred. And so an amazing event here. And they go to see this star that rose in the east. And what was the purpose of their visit? They came that they might proskynesia him. That word proskynesia, that's where we get the word to prostrate ourselves. They came to bow down. They came to pay reverence. They came to give tribute to a superior individual. And how shocking that must have been to Herod, right? Because his family had established a firm presence in the Jewish hierarchy there. Two of his sons, Antipas and Philip, were set to take over when he died. And yet here's these dignitaries from the East, representing a nation... (laughs) And they don't come to bow down and pay homage to his sons. And this caused a great stir. All of Jerusalem was in an uproar. And don't think of some secret visit, three guys just kind of wander into town and show up at Herod's court there. This was an entourage. These were dignitaries. They probably came marching right through downtown there. And people were like, what is going on here? They probably had a dinner together with Herod and discussions about these things. The religious leaders show up, right? And this tells us that they just didn't ease into town. It was well publicized. In our modern context, it would be like a large party of dignitaries coming from Russia to visit the White House. Only they're not there to really see the president. They're looking for the real leader of America. Some kid living in the projects five miles down the road in D.C. there from Capitol Hill. And so they discovered. They left Herod's palace and they continued to observe Jupiter. They were watching it. And then something amazing happened again. In December of 2 B.C., another celestial event occurred. And many planetariums around the world actually show this. They do lectures and they show displays of this event on Christmas because it happened right around Christmas. Jupiter converged with Venus. They both touched one another. And so the king planet came into connection with the woman planet or the mother planet. If you look at the symbol for Venus, it's the same symbol that we use for woman. 
right? The circle with the cross underneath. And so it's interesting, to the naked eye, it looked like they were one star. But if you zoom in on it, like we can today, and we can see it, they don't exactly touch, they come so close, but the mother star is just above the king star, almost like a woman with a baby inside. And so they're watching this. This would have been a spectacularly bright thing in the western sky at that time. And so they see this, and they know this is the place. We're here. But they still didn't know exactly where the king was. They knew Bethlehem because the religious leaders came, and they said, oh, it's in Bethlehem that the king of the Jews, the Messiah, is to be born. That is, until Jupiter did something unusual. After it touched Venus, it retrograded to the south. It changed directions and started going south. You can see this right on the celestial map of that particular day. And as it goes down, so it's heading this way, it it touches Venus and comes back and pauses before it heads back on its path again. And that point where it pauses was directly above Bethlehem. And you can guess the date it happened. December 25th of B.C. 2. Amazing. The first Christmas gifts given there on that particular day. Now I don't know how they found the exact house that... Jesus and Mary were in, in Bethlehem. I mean, it's a pretty small town at the time, especially. I like to think maybe they bumped into some shepherds on the way into town, right? (laughs) These guys that had seen some amazing things. Oh, Jesus and Mary, right down the road here. One thing to note, though, Herod wasn't with them. The Jewish religious leaders weren't with them. They were not going to recognize this new king. At this time, they come into the house. And it says they bow down to him, and they give him tribute and reverence. This tribute came in the form of gold. Gold was a significance of royalty. Frankincense was to signify his priestly role. They were priests, and they recognized this king's priestly role. And also myrrh, because of its bitterness, signified the suffering that Jesus would face. And Matthew 2 says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy when they saw Jesus. And my question is, why? Why did they rejoice greatly? This child had no wealth. This child had no powerful alliance to offer them. Besides a few lowly shepherds, no one even knew who he was. I like to believe it's because they had searched the scriptures more diligently than even the scribes and Pharisees. The Holy Spirit had revealed to them that this was the Savior of the world. Why else would they make such a long journey and face the wrath of a sitting king, not to mention Rome, right? And so what can we learn from these magi? I'd like to offer four lessons. Number one, God speaks to us through nature if we have the ears to hear. 
Psalm 19, 1 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day they pour forth speech, and night to night reveal knowledge. Romans 1, 19-20 goes even further. It says, For what be, may be known about God is plain to humankind, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from his workmanship, so that men are without excuse. You can look at nature and learn about God. I was listening to some different debates this last week uh, with creationists and some of the supposed uh, highest, wisest uh, scientists of the day. I can't fathom it. How you can look out at creation and not, at, at the very least, say, something else made this. This isn't just a chance. This isn't just time, chance, and circumstances mashed together, and now here we are with hummingbirds and babies and thoughts and love and music and all of these things. God's glory is all around his creation, and it tells us about who he is. And remember, these paths of stars and planets were set in motion at the beginning of creation. They don't change, right? They stay constant. That's why if you want to go into the sciences and you want to go into uh, astronomy, you better be a good mathematician because you can mathematically calculate these things very specifically. And God set these signs in the heavens to declare his Savior, his Son coming, before man fell. And what that shows us is that he had a plan from the beginning, right? And he's not done speaking through the celestial bodies. We see that in the book of Revelation, it's filled with signs from the heavens. The moon turning blood red, stars falling from the sky, all of these things, we can still look to the heavens and see the glory of God and see the things that he's doing. The second lesson for us today is that the coming of the Messiah was for the entire world. Think about the message that was proclaimed to the shepherds by the angels. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. God had called upon these men from a Gentile nation to come and acknowledge the newborn king. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Number three, seeking the Messiah can be a dangerous business. Right after the Magi find Jesus, they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod and tell him, hey, we found the new king. And a couple of reasons for that. First of all, Herod was going to kill him and probably would kill the Magi, right? The messengers. Not going to take this message back to your foreign land here. And so Herod sends out his armies and they kill every two-year-old boy and below in the vicinity of Bethlehem. Thankfully, Jesus and his family escaped. They went to Egypt. The same angel came and told them to get out of here. And this shows us that when Jesus comes, his ministry can cause division. 
In fact, he even said, I do not come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword between families. A sword between nations. And many communities have been divided. Churches have been divided over the ministry of Jesus. Finally, we can be encouraged that these stories are biblically accurate and historically accurate. Because they're in the Bible, they are historical. Many people didn't know what this star was until the modern culture. And Rick Larson and his study and many others have proved that this is a real event in history that happened, that we can point to. And there are many other such events. Many times scientists will say things, well, what's up with the flood? Or what about this historical Jesus? Or all these things. And then they discover new things. new historical documents that prove that the Bible is actually accurate. Some websites I did research on called this the myth of the Star of Bethlehem or the legend of the Magi. The Bible is not a myth or a legend. It is filled with real men and women who were impacted by God. These men from the East were real men who made this incredible journey We actually know probably how long it took. If they were from that area in Babylon there, we see back in Ezra chapter 7 that Ezra left and went to Jerusalem, which is just right near Bethlehem. And it took him four months to do so. Now here they have an entourage and who knows how many gifts and gold and all this stuff weighing them down. And so what happened here is these men dedicated probably about a year of their life to go and find this Messiah. As one particular bumper sticker says, wise men still seek him. It's funny to me how some people won't even go down the block to a church. There's a church everywhere. You can go to churches all over the place. And here's these men who weren't even sure what they would find that spend a year of their life to seek it. And so for us today, we can be encouraged to continue to seek the Messiah, to continue to tell people about this amazing event so they too can find the baby, so they too can bow down and give tribute and reverence and worship. And so I encourage you today with these words of this story, this real, true, historically and astrologically and astronomically, whatever words you want to put, This is a real thing that happened in history, and science proves it. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.